Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Glenn Mills, anchor and senior political correspondent with ABC4 News. Lindsay Whitehurst, reporter with the Associated Press, and Ben Winslow, reporter with Fox 13 News. So glad to be with you all this evening. We're gonna do a little recap of the legislative session and other things happening in Washington, D.C., but I wanna to get to a high level here because it's always interesting to see what happens during a, a legislative session, the things that catch fire, the things that fizzle out. We're gonna talk about all of those things uh, in this program tonight. Uh, ben, I wanna start with you for just a moment because often a legislative session has a certain theme, kind of a flavor that persists. Did we see anything that you could identify in this one? Yeah, it was weird. It was I mean, weird. that's basically what it was. We had the COVID restrictions. Uh, we had the Capitol closed the first week of the session. We had physical distancing requirements, mask mandates, random testing of people on Capitol Hill, people staying away, people participating virtually in their pajamas. It was just different. Everything was yeah. weird. <laughs> it was so different. How about you, Lindsay? Uh, Glenn, let's hear what you're thinking. Well, and you usually have that energy at the Capitol, right? You have, you have kids coming in for tours. You have all of the decisions being made and all of the people. And for me, I covered a lot of the session distantly too. So, so I was, I was more comfortable in terms of my attire, but um, perhaps it was, <laughs> but felt a little, a little bit less in, in the mix in terms of really being there where the, the vitality is going on. Right, you know? right. It's totally true. Glenn. Definitely a year of navigating uncharted territory, no doubt about that. And I know that was really frustrating for a lot of people at first as well. I heard from lobbyists, from advocates who really struggled in connecting, you know, face to face with lawmakers. But as weeks went on, everyone started figuring out the best way and it got a lot better. But definitely, uh, I don't know how you top it other than what Ben already said. It was just a weird session, and that's what it was. Yeah, so uh, I want to talk about some bills, but, but first on that point, I'm curious about what you felt happened um, with the public participation, because it is true. One of the weird things was we, for the first time, we just had a lot of people participating remotely, uh, joining these rooms. Lindsay, did it work? Is it something that's going to stay? I, I think there were a, f a number of people who couldn't have necessarily made it up to the Capitol in the middle of the day who were able to get remotely. And and I think that is a good a good tool for a lot of people that, that you kind of hope kind of goes on in some way, shape or form, you know, because not everybody can take time in the middle of their day to, to go and talk. Now, now, to Glenn's point, there, there is an effectiveness to being there in person, to in, in life in real living color. And I think we saw it with the Dixie State issue a little bit, right? Like that bill had really stalled and then the students came up there, they were there in person, they were demonstrating. And I think that that helped to really kind of turn the tide on that issue. And an example of how there are some things you, that are, that really make, have, have your weight in person. So, so that was an interesting tension there too. You have more participation, but then sometimes do you always get as much impact as you do? Right. Ben, you were up on the hill every day in person pretty much so masked and physically distant <laughs> <laughs> yes you were very good about it but talk about the difference between those two things that Lindsay and glenn just said because you got to see it in person 
both sides. Yeah, there is something to be said for being there in person. And there were a select number of people who showed up every day uh, to, to lobby, to advocate for bills. And you could see there's always that difference when someone comes out and wants to talk to a lawmaker in person and meeting with them and talking to them and also finding out what else is happening on the Hill versus trying to text message. I mean, lawmakers were telling me that before prayer and pledge were over, they had up to 30 texts on their phone, which is a lot different different than you would get in a quote-unquote normal year. Um, but I think it's going to be st here to stay. I think the virtual hybrid mix is going to be here because public participation was way up. And to Lindsay's point, people didn't have to drive four and a half hours from St. George or five hours from Blanding to speak for 30 quality seconds in front of a committee. So it, I think that advantage is going to stay. And so they, what you could see is a committee chair saying, anybody here in the room want to speak to the bill? And anybody online want to speak to the bill? There were some bills where they had, they had capped out at 100 people who wanted to weigh in on a particular piece of legislation. If that had happened in person, they would have yeah. never gotten in the room. And this is a way for them to sit home in their pajamas and weigh in on legislation that's important to them in their community. Boy, it was so nice to see in these meetings people- I really agree with that. I think that's going to be around today. And the only thing I'll add possibly wasn't said already is that people who have never participated in the legislative process before were able to this year because of the element. Yeah, it was it was so good to see people even from rural Utah for the first time just engaging quite directly. Uh, and some of, let's talk about some of the bills they were engaging on. Uh, Glenn, I'm curious about a, a couple of things. One, any surprising bills that you saw that uh, just kind of popped up and just sailed through? Well, not really ever surprises me in the legislative session, <laughs> so I'll just start off by saying that. However, there was one that caught my attention that I was a little bit surprised that came through, and that is the speech amendment sponsored by Senator Mike McKell. That one, the bill, it's what it calls bias moderation within social media. And there are some serious and legitimate concerns over whether it's constitutional or not. It was very close, razor thin in the House, but sailed through the Senate quite easily. And I do think that is one the governor is looking at as a potential veto. And the interesting thing there is that could set up a a uh, pretty interesting family dynamic because Senator McKell is the governor's brother-in-law. So I'm really interested to see how that one plays out. Yeah, so, so how do you both see this one playing out in terms of the, this is the moderation, this goes directly at social media, which we're going to see some of these key groups out there really going after this one. It's been a topic of a lot of discussion lately, right? And and especially on the conservative side of things, Senator Mike Lee has talked about mm -hmm. it too. It's it's definitely an issue of concern. Um, and, and right, you ha still have that tension of like, you got to keep, you, you can't tell companies what to do and you can't have too much control. How do you how do you strike that balance? And, um, and then, I don't know, in this particular case, you've got how do you do the family the family get together and how do, how do yeah. you balance that too? So <laughs> it'll be it'll be an interesting issue. Okay, I mean, on that one, either it, if it doesn't get vetoed, the likelihood is strong that there could be a lawsuit by a number of tech companies that have serious fundamental problems with this one. But it raises the important issue: is this private property or a public square? Mm -hmm. You know, we'll see. Yeah, and as you all have mentioned, there one are some. They did negotiate to where it will push up for one year to where they can handle those things and see how it plays out yeah. if the governor ends up signing it. 
Yeah, to, to this very good point, uh, people who are talking about a potential veto here, which a couple of you just mentioned on this bill, that was the governor's statement so far, is there's a delayed implementation of that bill, which would give him a chance to work on it for a year. But, but before we get to a couple of these other bills, do, do you think it's likely that the governor vetoes this and are hearing about any other potential bills that he might veto? I'm, I'm kind of watching to see what he might do on a bill that's somewhat similar uh, that mandates pornography filters right. on, on phones and, and tablets in Utah. That one, I've been talking with a few experts on it, and it does seem like there there are some pretty clear First Amendment concerns and, and issues with, there have been, you know, attempts like this back in the 90s to filter content on the internet that were struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court. So that does seem to be one that, that might have some constitutional issues. Of course, adults could turn those off, but um, but so that, and, and it is certainly an important issue, right? And it's one mm -hmm. that, that, that Utah lawmakers have been looking at a lot and what to do about it. Um, but, but that's one I think will be interesting to see. And there is a trigger clause there. Five other states would have to do it, so it doesn't right. go into effect right away. But it'll be interesting to see what the governor does on that one too, mm -hmm. I think. And so, so this, this bill makes it so the devices are sold with the filters on, right? With the protections in place. They have to be, and so you have to turn them off if you someone wanted right. to turn so Everyone, off. anytime you yeah. buy a device that would automatically be on. And um, and so that, that'll be kind of an interesting one to see where it goes. Mm -hmm. So uh, and a point on this, Ben, because I'm curious, uh, before the session started, Governor Cox in his state, his state, he said to his colleagues, former colleagues in the legislature, I may be vetoing more of your bills than you've seen in the past, but uh, so, something happened this, this session, maybe in terms of his own engagement, that made it that, so that we're not really sure there are any bills he wants to veto. Well, there's a couple of things the governor has done is, uh, yeah, he's uh, he and Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson have been actively involved in negotiating this bill, these bills, um, especially ones that potentially could be cruising for a veto. Uh, you know, the other thing that they're doing is they're giving lawmakers the chance to plead their case before uh, the governor and say, this is why I think this is good law and why it should stay and why you should sign it instead of vetoing it. So there's been a lot more of that. We saw um, Governor Herbert in his administration would do a lot of negotiating as the bill was in play. We saw that particularly this session with the COVID bills, um, a lot of negotiating. The governor's office, especially with some of these ones like the end game, where they would insert themselves in the discussion saying, whoa, 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 Department of Health has concerns, uh, public health you know, agencies have concerns, medical groups have concerns. Let's talk about this. Let's see if we can negotiate this. Let's see if we can you know, come to some kind of an agreement here where I don't have to veto it. Yeah, uh, Glenn, Glenn, to this great point, uh, we even heard stories like towards the end of the legislative session that Governor Cox was calling people into the governor's mansion, the legislative leaders, like for example, on the, the bill to potentially eliminate the signature gathering process here to see if there's common ground. What did you think about that process mm -hmm. and how effective it was? Yeah, that, they uh, really negotiated the emergency powers bill as well. And I think it was effective because the governor told me Friday night, closing night of the legislative session, I know he told others this as well, most of the bills that he had his eye on for a potential veto ended up dying anyway. But there's one other point I wanna bring up where he may be looking at a veto. And this was actually kind of an underlying uh, tone and theme of the session as well. I have never heard so many mayors from local cities, county commissioners from you know municipal leaders from all across the state coming out and saying our uh, control is under attack this legislative session. They were specifically talking about uh, bills for billboards and for housing and for inspections. Now, a couple of those bills did end up passing, 
And I'm really be watching those to see what the governor does there because in addition, he told me Friday night, he said some of the bills that did cause him harm that he is taking a look at are the ones that are addressing local control issues. Now they got to the point on the mother-in-law bill where they negotiated a path where municipalities were not okay with it, but they got to the point where they were neutral with the bill because it allowed them some more control over percentages, parking, how they're used, and also that bill that will allow a builder to get his or her own inspection done uh, outside of the city with some things negotiated there. So those are some potential bills the governor might have his eye on as well. But I was really surprised, and I don't know if the, the other two of you heard this as well, but just a lot of frustration this session from municipal leaders feeling like their rights and their control are under attack. Mm -hmm. well, we, we, we probably should talk about that control issue for just a moment, too, because the, you had the municipal side, Ben, but you also had this struggle between the legislature and the governor over all sorts of uh, powers that might be in the executive branch, particularly when it comes to emergency declarations. Yeah, but those bills were also negotiated with the governor. I mean, it's really interesting because these bills stem from a very public fight between the legislature and Governor Herbert when they refused to extend the state of emergency and public health orders. So he said, fine, I'll let it expire, and then I'm going issue a new one every 30 days and then we hit a crisis point with case counts to where they let him issue a statewide mask mandate then they come back around in january to weigh in these things uh, the bill that did ultimately pass when it came to emergency <coughs> powers dealt with future emergencies not necessarily this one which is why you even saw the legislature defeat uh, efforts to lift the statewide mask mandate immediately from within their own chamber because they're 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 saying we don't want to deal with this right now but those were negotiated. The governor signed the emergency uh, procurement bill. This is the one where the previous administration was spending millions, more than $100 million in no-bid contracts, doing whatever they had to do during the pandemic. And then you find out, you know, there's these tech contracts. We don't know exactly what they did or what did, this, what did we get from this. So there's a lot more oversight. And Governor Cox went along with it and said, yeah, I'm cool with this. So he even signed that one already as of this morning. So, yeah. It's it, a lot of these were already negotiated with the governor's office, not necessarily, um, you know, making a run at him, but running with him. Yeah. Lindsay, I'm kind of curious what you saw to this very good point, too, because uh, a lot was made of this what looked like a potential power struggle in the end it ended up being sort of a, a compromised shared governance of sorts. Uh, did, what, what do you think from people you're hearing from on the Hill? Did one side feel like they, they won or was this one that in the end, it wasn't just about winning that particular argument. Well, it's it's politically smart, right? Because, uh, you know, just to take a step back, last year has been a crisis that none of us have ever been through before in government, in personal life, anything else, right? And so there are there was a lot of kind of making it up as you go along, or or I think the the other metaphor was you know building the plane while it's in flight, you know. So there was there was a lot of that that was happening, and so and and a lot of these things became about both public health and politics, right? And and people had a different point of view on what should be done depending on their political leanings often. And so so it became something that that when you can kind of go back and then redo these struggles but but keep keep the everyone 
negotiates behind the scenes and then you say one thing publicly, right? And so that's kind of a smart po political thing to do is not to necessarily come out and have the food fight in public, but to do it a little bit behind closed doors. And then you can say, hey, look, actually we're cool with this. And everybody gets a little bit of what they want, you know, and that, that ends up being kind of the sausage making that happens. And who knows, we may not see anything like this again. I'm gonna hope we don't. <laughs> I'm just gonna hope we don't. That, that a lot of these things that we've negotiated now don't have to come back into play for many years and a century or so is good with me. <laughs> I hope that's true. I also, to, to your point about the back the back rooms, Glenn, I'm curious, uh, a lot of this stuff did get resolved in the, in the back rooms without a whole lot of public spectacle. We had a couple. Anything you saw that died this year that you see coming back next year, um, maybe some maybe some of these are controversial, maybe not, but what you see is going to going to rise again. Yeah, a couple of bills I would mention. One is SB 54 has become the gift that just keeps giving, right? Uh, <laughs> there was actually a point this legislative session where I thought Dan McKay's bill that would have given parties more power to decide how they want their candidate to get to the primary going to pass. Uh, it ended up failing in the end, and that's another one where they, you know, came together and negotiated. But we know that one's going to continue to come back. I mean, just this year, it died at one point and was <laughs> what, like an hour later, and it ended up passing the Senate. So that's one that will always come back. And, and again, when we talk about surprises, there was a point where I thought that one actually had a chance to uh, pass this year, but that ended up falling apart. And there's another one I'll mention. I've been talking to a lot of Republicans in the state legislature, specifically leadership, and I think another bill that's going to come back that was really highly controversial this year and a big debate was the one uh, regarding transgender athletes and uh, girls' sports in high school. I talked to one member of leadership in the House who named that as the biggest missed opportunity this year to address that issue. So I think that one will be making a comeback as well. Lindsay, you did some great reporting on that particular bill. Are you hearing the same? What do you think is likely to happen? I, I, I do think Glenn's on the money there. I, I do think that's that's an issue that, that will come back again. You're seeing it pop up in a lot of states this year. Um, something like half of, of states have some sort of bill um, having to do with transgender kids and, and sports. And and I, I do think that's when we saw it the year before, too. It, it, this year was not the first year a bill like mm -hmm. that had been introduced. And so I, I, I don't think we're, we're done talking about that as a, as a country. Um, it's what we found in our reporting is you just don't, it's not something that's happening in, in backyards right now as much. That we, we talked to um, a colleague of mine in New York, we went to all the states where um, lawmakers were sponsoring these bills, and what, what we found is um, none of them could name a, a case where it's become a problem in their state, where there's, of course, a high-profile case out of Connecticut where there were two transgender um, girls in, in track, and, and they were they were very competitive in their sport. Um, but in terms of, is this, is this a problem being seen in in backyards across America, so far our reporting suggests that it's not that it's it's something that that is is a little bit more of a political issue right now and, and how you feel about about social issues um, and so and especially with the Biden administration coming in I believe it was day one and saying you can't discriminate against transgender kids in sports that's where the the politics the Democrat Republican politics sort of come into so it's also a way to sort of push back on the Biden administration and so so I do think that's a conversation we're going to keep having as a country in, and in Utah too.
bills that I think will come back. Uh, one bill that I think did not make it through, and I wouldn't be shocked to see it come back, um, statewide broadband internet access. Uh, mm -hmm. One thing that COVID has taught us is we're all teleworking, Glenn's appearing remotely, and you know, internet connectivity is a big issue and it's becoming an increasing issue and that bill did not make it through. I think it died on a close vote in the Senate. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that one return because there's going to be a lot of push for expanded internet access, particularly for rural Utah. That's right. We are going to see more and more of that. It's true. Uh, I want to get to one of the bills that was mentioned here because uh, it's, it's going to become even more of an interesting topic for us to talk about. It's it's back to masks. I was going to bring us back to masks again because we're uh, you we are all wearing ours right to the time we started here. But but Glenn, um, this Endgame bill that uh, most of you have mentioned, Ben was talking about just a moment ago, talked about when the mask mandate is lifted, which is not entirely for everyone, right? There are still some parameters on that, but still right. a controversial. Uh, aspect of the recovery. Yeah, no doubt about that. So the mask mandate under this bill will be repealed on April 10th. Uh, there are exceptions, large gatherings, 50 plus. Uh, kids at school will still be required to wear masks. But here's something else I want to get into on this. I think we're still going to see uh, private businesses, you know, the grocery stores, malls, others who are still going to require masks. And uh, it could potentially get to the point where we see fighting over this. And that's why we saw a pretty uh, straightforward plea from the governor just the other day saying, look, as we move forward, some people are going to want to keep wearing masks. Some people will choose to uh, maybe long into the future. So I don't think this is necessarily going away on April 10th. And I think we're still going to see a lot of people in the uh, private sector and a lot of businesses still choose to enact those mask mandates if you're going to go into their stores. It's an interesting point. It has become something a lot of businesses are talking about, right? Ben, not just those businesses, but people talking about the the longer kind of plan for mask wearing in the state. Yeah, and it's almost like we're right back where we were last summer when Governor Herbert was encouraging everyone, please do this, just do it because you care about your neighbor and you're not a jerk or something like that. Those were his words. And, and, <laughs> We're, we're going back to that encouragement. Um, certainly there is a mechanism in the bill that also allows county governments to do this, mm -hmm. but it has to be a county legislative body. So you won't necessarily see Mayor Wilson of Salt Lake County implementing a mask mandate because now she's got to go through the Republican controlled county council to see if they'll go along with it. Um, so there's a lot of different steps to go through, but private business has the ability to do this. And yeah, you could see like when Harmons was one of the first and that was so shocking to everybody that Harmons is mandating masks. Costco did the same thing. You know, you have different entities and they could just say we're going to keep it going until we feel comfortable lifting this, not when the legislature feels comfortable lifting this. Very interesting point. I, I want to transition to a little bit because uh, the Biden administration has been talking about this issue a little bit too, but it's also wrapped up in the COVID response as, uh, as a country. So uh, Lindsay, if we can take just a minute on this enormous stimulus plan that was just signed by the president yesterday. Uh, people all across the country, including people in the state of Utah, many will be getting their $1,400 checks as early as this weekend. But uh, I, I mentioned this because our own delegation was not exactly very supportive of this stimulus bill. 
Right, and and one one problem that that some Republicans have with it is you can't use it to cut taxes, which is certainly mm -hmm. something that that is supported by a lot of Republicans, right? And you know, a state like Utah, where we've we've kind of weathered this fairly well, relatively speaking, you can you can see the point, like, hey, we don't necessarily need all this all this cash coming into to our state yeah. governments. I do think a lot of individuals are still hurting, and a lot of a lot of people are still kind of trying to rebuild their lives. So I think there'll be a mm -hmm. lot of individuals who say, thank goodness. Please, I, I need this in my and to, to help you know my my family because there is some some child tax carriers credit stuff involved too, That's and so right. so that that means a lot to a lot of people. Um, but but yeah, I think that there are definitely still still some uh, some disagreements in there whether whether overall this was was a good idea from a Republican point of view. Right, uh, Glenn, were you at all surprised when you heard uh, Mitt Romney, for example, saying money is coming to the state of Utah? This could be up to eight billion dollars, and he's saying we had surpluses already. This this is not the kind of spending plan he was looking for. And, and Mike Lee had even harsher words about it. Yeah, um, that was one of their biggest problems with the bill is that they said, look, states like Utah don't need this money and it's going to go in their words. This is them speaking from what, what we've heard from them to states that have mismanaged funds potentially or a, a bailout of states who haven't been responsible uh, with their money. So that was really a big uh, point for our delegation and I think other Republicans in the uh, in Congress as well. Yeah, for just a couple of final words on this one, uh, Ben, because it's interesting that w it was not a bipartisan bill at all. Are uh, they ever? <laughs> a lot These of times they're not. But how are our local uh, elected officials, what, just what you're hearing, how they're trying to balance uh, the, the stimulus funds with kind of their long-term planning in terms of their finances of the state? Well, I mean, it, I, the state is trying, the at least locally, we're going to have to come back to another special session. This is not over. They're going to have to figure out how to spend it. And yeah, there is concerns. There's still concerns about a fiscal cliff coming uh, on the one hand. There's also concerns just about racking up a lot of debt. And, um, you know, the legislature is going to have to figure some of this out, especially as the decision has been made on a federal level. The money is coming. What do you do with it? Yeah. So uh, maybe, Glenn, because I know you were hearing this too, just our, our last. Go ahead, Glenn. Just more point I think is important on the stimulus plan. We, we saw it change a little bit in the Senate, and they had to do that to bring in some more of the uh, modern, uh, moderate Democrats to get them on board. And one important point is people who may have gotten one or two of the stimulus checks before are not going to get them this time, because even moderate Democrats want to see this more targeted to the people who want it most. So there's a hard cap this time and much lower on the stimulus checks than what it was last time. Those making 75,000 individuals, making 75,000 last back to 1,400, and then it'll be tiered up to 80 where it will cap off this time. So there might be some people saying, well, where's my check this time around? And that's why they won't be seen. Mm -hmm. Well, watch this one closely. Uh, this is an interesting balance, too, as they're trying to stimulate our economy, and there are still a lot of needs out there. So we'll monitor, continue to monitor that issue closely. Thank you all so much for your really great insights. That was a great legislative session wrap-up. I appreciate it. Great, great comments tonight. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review. 